Welcome to Be Happy, a podcast by the Hepatitis B Foundation discussing all things related to Hepatitis B. October is Liver Cancer Awareness Month, and today we have a special mini episode coming all the way from the HBV meeting in Paris. Ed Tate, Director of Communications at the Hepatitis B Foundation, was able to interview Dr. Matthias Hagenwalder to talk about the state of liver cancer research. Here's their conversation. I induced different type of models of chronic inflammation in the liver, and it turned out that by chance, some of the models that I created turned on exactly pathways that have been identified in chronic hepatitis B and C virus replication, which was the expression of an inflammatory network called NF-kappa-B signaling. And yeah, this is end, funnily enough, these mice developed liver cancer the mice that are generated without any genetic tricks, just by transferring an inflammatory signature from a human into a mouse. And yeah, this is how everything got started. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. What is the state of the science around liver cancer diagnosis and treatment? Do you think it's accelerating? It's it's a strong field? It's, a mess. it's, it's one of the biggest fields in a medical research at the moment. This is, for example, best mirrored by the fact that all the journals that work on it have impact factors above 30. Okay. Journal of Hepatology has increased its impact factor in the last three years by 15. Mm-hmm. Hepatology, the same thing, gastroenterology, gut. So the, the biggest meeting, the European Association of Liver Disease, the EASL meeting, has 10,000 to 15,000 participants. I had the pleasure to organize the scientific program this year in London. Um, and despite Corona, I, we had like altogether more than 9,000 people at mm. site and I think similar amount of people online. And uh, the field is extremely strong because of course it is of enormous importance because every third American has a fatty liver. So, you know, this this surpluses uh, chronic hepatitis B virus infected patients in the United States or Europe by large. But of course, the problem to treat hepatitis B virus and C virus infected patients in Europe, in the US, but also in Asia is of course of, of highest importance when you think about, you know, what's going on in China at the moment. I mean, you have hospitals that only deal with hepatitis virus infected patients and liver cancer. Wow. Huge hospitals. I mean, you go to cities that have 30 million uh, inhabitants and, and you see these hospitals, which you would not imagine that there is a hospital for one particular tumor type. Dedicated. Uh, yeah, just dedicated for liver cancer because it is you know, it's still, you know, causing more than a million deaths a year. So, and, and it's massively rising now in, in, in Europe, may this be viral or of course, lifestyle related, so. Are there exciting new tracks in the field of liver cancer? Yes, there are um, similar to maybe virus induced liver cancer. Immunotherapy is one of those. And so, and it's remarkable. We published a paper in Nature last year where we have shown that most likely the etiology of the liver cancer patient to some degree dedicates the efficacy of response to immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. So if you have a viral infection, you respond very well. If you have a non-viral infection, not necessarily are you on the side of the good responders. I see. And that has implications of massive implications, of course, wasn't taken up that vividly, of course, in the field, because it was believed that immunotherapy is the blockbuster, but of course, and it will be the blockbuster and it is the blockbuster, but I think it has to be adjusted and equilibrated for particular patient subcohorts. Immunotherapy is, is also termed precision medicine. Yes. Yes. 
Well, I wouldn't say that precision medicine, I would be careful with using that term, but I would say stratification of patients. That's, that's what I understand as precision medicine, so that you can identify an individual patient with its molecular and co- let's call it immunological signature, mm-hmm. based on which you could group, in, group this patient, him or her, in a particular treatment group, which would enable a better response, a better therapy efficacy, and of course, a longer survival of the patient. That's what I would understand as under precision medicine. We were talking earlier, and and I wanted to go back to the diagnosis Mm -hmm. of liver cancer, how difficult it is, and why is that, and how much progress is being made Mm -hmm. in diagnosis? So to diagnose liver cancer, let's say in a a peripheral blood test, um, is not possible, at least not reliably possible at the moment. Of course, obviously, you can already reliably diagnose a hepatitis uh, disease, and I think we are already now at the state by using single cell technologies, I speak about my lab, to use particular cell types to even diagnose the etiology and the severity of a particular hepatitis. But to predict or diagnose a tumor that may be, for example, by imaging is not detectable yet, mm. so to detect pre-neoplastic lesions or yeah, that's actually what you would like to do, right? So once sure. a small tumor is on the rise, that it pops up and you could see it in peripheral blood. This at the moment is still not possible. I see. Your talk this week at the meeting is about the commonalities of various causes of yes. liver cancer. Are you surprised at finding more or less commonalities as you do your research? I think it's it's very interesting that there are some commonalities when it comes to the inflammatory pathways and some general pathological development. So in both diseases, you have maybe viral or non-viral, you have chronic inflammation, you have a chronic regenerative process because the liver is a regenerative organ. You have DNA damage that goes together with damage, chronic damage of the hepatocytes and the regeneration processes. But in terms of quality, they are massively different. Mm. Still, at the end of the day, what comes out of uh, the tunnel is actually uh, a liver cancer phenotype that is that couldn't be more complex and heterogeneous. So mm. it's very difficult to group. It's possible, but it's very difficult to group etiologies into particular matrices where you could say, okay, this genetic setup must be a virus-induced liver cancer. So that's not the case. Right. And so far, these matrices have failed to find their way into the clinic because exactly of that. And why is it heterogeneous? Because the cancer development is based on the sporadic regeneration and accumulation of DNA damage as a selection process in the liver Mm -hmm. to develop cancer. So hepatocytes that accumulate by chance particular mutations will be selected for a particular pathway. Obviously, when you have uh, integration of your HPV genome into I don't know, um, oncogen or in front of an in front of a of a promoter of a of a gene that has a strong expression, oncogen promoter or something like this, then of course you know this changes the picture um, yes. on top. And then there will be some, let's say, guided ways towards cancer. But on the whole, very often you have potpourri of sporadic mutations. And uh, obviously um, also in liver cancer, as there must be rules as to whether there is a hierarchy of particular oncogenes and tumor suppressors. It is very clear that there are some tumors where you more often see particular parameters, particular mutations 
because these are simply stronger in terms of so they are they are not these are really drivers um, they're not passengers they're really driver mutations and that's what you see more often but of course also the driver mutations can change the character of a tumor in a way that you know a particular treatment response does not exist anymore what's the focus of your lab the focus of my lab is to understand in sporadic chronic models that try to mimic human pathology and in patient samples as well by doing clinical trials, how chronic inflammation induces cancer. And this not only holds true in the liver, it also holds true for the lung. And by doing so, we try to identify, and I think that's our claim of fame, strategies by which we don't go for small molecules, inhibiting something in a cell, but by going for particular immune cells and trying to understand what they do, and then blocking specifically, for example, a pro-inflammatory function of a platelet by which you could abrogate cancer development. And we did this um, in the past, in oh, patients and in mice. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks for speaking with us. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. Stay tuned and subscribe for future episodes about hepatitis B. If you have any questions, please direct them to info at hepb.org. You can support our programs at the Hepatitis B Foundation by going to www.hepb.org donate or click on the link in this page. We greatly appreciate all your support and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.